Find your seats, find your Bibles. Let's open them up. We're in 2 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter number 6. And uh, I do want to reiterate the, just the welcome to everybody. Again, those of you that are feeling well enough to be here with us, we really appreciate you coming to be a part with us. And those of you, for whatever reason, can't be with us and joining us online, God bless you guys for joining us online, really. Uh, we're, glad that, we're glad that you can do that. But we're going to forge ahead. We're going to continue with our Bible studies. That's an important thing. And uh, we are studying in the book of 2 Corinthians. We've been doing this systematically, and last week we finished chapter number 5, so we're jumping into chapter number 6 today. Uh, if you've been with us for our study, you'll know. If you haven't been with us, then this is a good overview for you. But just the idea that the theme of the entire book of 2 Corinthians is about the ministry and the minister. So it's all about what we do to serve the Lord and, and our life and in association with that. Uh, chapter number 5 had the specific theme of judgment. We saw the judgment seat of Christ specifically laid out in verse number 10 there. And last week we saw how God has given to each of us a specific ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. And that's evangelism. And, and truly, if ever there was a time in history... Uh, that it should be on the forefront of your mind to get the Word of God out, the gospel of Jesus Christ out, so more people can be saved. I don't know about you, but today's that day. Now's that time. And uh, we'll even see that in chapter 6 here. But the idea is this, is that, man, I mean, these are crazy times in which we live, and people are sick, and, well, it could be the end of times, and we don't actually know that, but for somebody, it's the end of time every day. People die every day, and Evangelism is a very important thing, and so, um, but it's not hard. It's actually very simple. The gospel is actually a very simple thing. But with the gospel being such a very simple message, why then is it so hard for people to actually do it? I mean, this is really what I want us to consider. Why is it so hard, seemingly, practically, for us to take the simple gospel and to go share it with as many people as possible? I mean, we want to do it, but for some reason, we often don't do it. And I get it. Maybe it's because sharing the gospel with somebody requires that you confront people with the issue of their sin. And that's never pleasant. You tell people about, oh, by the way, you're terrible. We're all terrible. You're sinful. You're, you're no good. You deserve to go to hell. Um, that's not a pleasant way to just, you know, ramp up a conversation. But... So obviously when you do that, when you begin to explain the gospel and you begin to explain that, you know, we all have come short of the glory of God, well, the truth of the matter is you're going to get some pushback. You're going to get pushback from people's pride, but you're also going to get pushback because there's a spiritual battle going on. And there is a spiritual enemy that is going to try and stop you from doing that, right? So ministry in the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel ministry without question is going to have its challenges. And that's the title I've given today's message, The Challenges of the Ministry. Um, so the ministry of reconciliation, therefore, is not something that we can pull off alone. We, we can't do it in of ourselves alone. Uh, we're going to find reasons to avoid it. Uh, we're going to stay busy doing other things. The truth is we need God to help us or we're just not going to do it. While it's easy for us to say we need God to help us, I think you need to realize that God needs you to help Him too. And He needs you to help Him too only because He chose the method of using you to propagate His Word. I mean, He doesn't really need us. He could do anything He wants. I get it, I get it. But the, the fact that He chose to use human instrumentality to speak His eternal words to other humans. Well, that means that He needs you. He needs you, and most certainly, you need Him. So we have our part in this ministry, and our part is we have to actually open our mouths, and we have to actually speak for Him. And He has His part, because only He can convict people of their sin. Only He can then, as a response to their exercising faith in Jesus Christ, purge away all their sin and make a new creature out of a previous sinful human being. So as a result, what we find is this ministry is, it's a partnership. 
It's a partnership. And that's what we see getting into chapter number 6. The very first verse in chapter number 6 starts off by saying, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So we are co-laborers with the Lord in this ministry. And that's why it's called a co-mission. We're in it together with the Lord, right? We see this over and over through the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Now each of the chapters in 2 Corinthians has had a specific theme that deals with different aspects of ministry and, and, and the life of the minister. Uh, the theme of chapter 6 then is the fellowship of the ministry. It's the fellowship of the ministry. And, and this is actually critically important point obviously today we're going to look specifically at our fellowship with God and then next week we'll talk more about our fellowship with other people but our fellowship with God um, maybe goes without saying that this is such an important point that if we don't maintain a consistent healthy fellowship with God well we're never going to endure the challenges that the ministry puts in front of us. And as we get into the text today, you're going to see there's, there's quite a few challenges to ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, the long haul of ministry is going to require that you have supernatural strength to draw from, and that's going to come from your personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, Christian ministers are out there in this world these days dropping like flies. And we read in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, for example, in the, one of the signs of the last days, is that it says, except there come a falling away first. Right? There's going to be this falling away before the very end and the revealing of, you know, the man of sin, the son of perdition. And uh, so that's going to be a characteristic, and, and that is something that we see a lot of. And, and maybe it's in large part because People who are standing up to fulfill the role of the ministry of reconciliation in the name of Jesus Christ, maybe they're not maintaining their close personal fellowship with God. Maybe they're trying to do it in the power of their flesh. But the truth of the matter is, if your close personal fellowship with God is strong, you can endure anything. You can handle anything. You absolutely can handle whatever it is, the challenge you're dealing with today. And the Bible's clear about this. Philippians 4.13, everybody should know this. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I might even just point out to you briefly that it says, which strengtheneth me, not who strengthens me. Because the, the principle that I can do all things through Christ, it's not just Christ that strengthens me. It's the principle that I can do all things through Christ. That principle strengthens me. See? So if I'm walking with him, then, well, then I've got his strength. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, amen, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So whatever it is you're going through, and if you think this is more than I can bear, the scriptures would say you're incorrect. Because if you are going through it, the Lord has judged that you can bear it, and there is a way to escape on the other side. And if you think, but I'm taxed beyond my abilities, well, be encouraged that the Lord thinks you're a little bit stronger than you think you are. Because he promises that he won't allow such a situation to happen. So as we've seen so many times before in so many different ways, I, I put this in your notes, we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. God didn't save your soul and leave you on this earth just to sit around and just have the most comfortable possible life until he snatches you up in glory and then you have a perfect life. Um, that's, that's not what it's all about. He saved you so that you could be his ambassadors. And the grace of God came to you by offering you that free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's salvation. You're saved by grace. You didn't have anything to do with it. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's activated by your faith. But eternal life is a gift of God. It's by the grace of God 
And once he offers you his grace, well, he expects you to get to work. He expects you to serve together with him in his mission. That's what we saw back in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So this is the thought that we have, and so Paul continues now in chapter 6, going into verse number 2, where it says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All of this verse is in a parenthesis. Now, just for your, you know, research, helpfulness, you know, I mean, if you, you may not use the word sucker, that's how you pronounce it, by the way, uh, it means to help. Um, in fact, it, this is a quote from Isaiah 49.8, and in Isaiah 49, the word that's used in your English Bible is helped. Okay, so the first half of verse number two is a quote from Isaiah 49. And what Paul is doing is Paul's making a modern-day application of an Old Testament principle. He's reminding them that God says this. When he says, I've heard thee in a, in a time accepted in the day of salvation, I've helped thee. Okay, he says, God, he's reminding them that God says this. When you called out to me for help on the day of salvation, asking for forgiveness of your sins, I helped you. Remember that? When you called out to me, I was there for you. Now, the second part of verse number two is Paul's commentary on that verse. And now he goes on and he says, now is the accepted time for you, Christian, to return that favor. Now is the accepted time for you to get busy and be workers together with me. Now is the day of salvation for all those people out there who still don't yet know about salvation, right? So let's get busy working together. Which, by the way, makes sense because in the context of Isaiah 49, and you don't have to go there, but a couple of verses before that verse number 8 that he quotes uh, is verse number 6, and in verse number 6 of Isaiah 49 literally deals with uh, the Jewish version of a great commission where he tells Israel that they're going to be a light unto the Gentiles. And he tells them that the salvation will go to the ends of the earth. See? So the idea is, is this day of salvation, that it's the time for people to be finding out about salvation. Now, verse number 2 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is often used in personal evangelism. People often quote this when they say, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You deal with somebody over the gospel and they understand it and Maybe they want to make a decision. Maybe they're a little hesitant to make a decision. And you read them this verse and you say, God says now's the time. You need to get saved right now. And that's fine. Do, do what you got to do in evangelism to help people make the decision they need to make. But at the point, the point is, is that the context is written to Christians. The context is written to Christians that we would get busy helping the Lord get the word out so that other people can experience the, de the day of salvation. Right? That's what he's talking about. So as we consider these things, right, getting into this, what, just, I mean, ask yourself, what is more important than the salvation of a soul? Well, nothing. Nothing's more important than that. Therefore, your pursuit of souls, right, the ministry, ought to be able to take precedence over our little inconveniences. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, it should be worth any and all suffering that we have to go through. We just need to get busy. We need to be about the work God called us to do. So the rest of this passage, from verse 3 down to verse 10, and that's how far we're going this morning, is actually all one sentence, okay? And you'll see as we read it how it kind of lays out. What it does is it gives us a good overview <coughs> to be able to understand what's waiting for us when we get busy doing the work of the ministry. There are challenges in the ministry. So I'm going to start again in verse number 1. I'm going to read down to verse number 10, and then we'll get into it. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in, an accept, in a time accepted in the day of salvation. I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. 
but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. This is a good description of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's just pray, and then we'll get into our outline. Heavenly Father, as we look at these things, I do pray that you clarify for us our expectations, that we would see things clearly the way that we need to, and that you would give us eyes to see and the ability to understand how you need for each of us to respond. Lord, may you be glorified and speak to our hearts through this word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the first few verses, verses 3, 4, and 5 anyways, in our continuing study is going to be what I'm going to call the circumstances of the ministry. These are the circumstances you'll expect as you get involved in ministry. It starts off in verse number 3 by saying, giving no offense in anything. Why? For the purpose that the ministry be not blamed. The ministry not being blamed in anything needs to be a goal of your life. Making sure that the ministry of Jesus Christ has a clean testimony is of utmost importance. Why? Well, we are His body. We are His ambassadors. We work in His name. So we have to live our lives in such a way that we give no offense in anything such that the result of that offense might put a stain on the testimony and the name and integrity of the ministry. Now, don't kid yourself. Ministry is blamed all the time. Uh, people will blame the ministry all the time. We just need to make sure that it can't be legitimately blamed, that it can't be rightly blamed, on our account anyway, right? There's a lot of people that are involved in things they call ministry, and they sure do give it a black eye, don't they? You guys remember ever hearing about a church called Westboro Baptist Church? Okay, so check this out. The Westboro Baptist Church, you know, they're just slanderous attacks on everybody they don't like, right? I just opened, I decided to open the Wikipedia page. And, and this is the first sentence of Wikipedia. Now, I know it's just Wikipedia. But let me just tell you, for, for, if your ministry made it to Wikipedia, you don't want this sentence. You ready? Westboro Baptist Church is an American extremist cult and hate group known for engaging in pickets with inflammatory, homophobic, anti-American, anti-atheist, anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic hate speech. <laughs> um, strive to have that not be said of you. <laughs> Let's pray we're done. Okay, I mean, that's, don't do that. Uh, there's a lot of people that engage in things that they would call Christian ministry. It may not actually be, but whatever. I mean, Everybody, I think, has heard at some point or another how the Roman Catholic Church clergy um, is infamous for being proven pedophiles frequently. Uh, charismatic TV preachers promise health and wealth and prosperity but never deliver because it's all based on doctrine taken out of context. Uh, cults are out there and they develop various forms of performance-based religion to keep people in bondage to their sin and to their failures. But it's not just these extreme groups or non-Christian cults that, that we're talking about. Really, any time that we act out in the power of our flesh and as a result are unnecessarily offensive, well, we give the ministry a black eye. We do something to give offense to the ministry, and that's what we need not do. The ministry itself just like its leaders, right? 1 Timothy 3, need to be blameless. Bishops, the leaders of churches, need to be blameless. Well, the ministry itself needs to be blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean sinless. It just means you can't be legitimately blamed, blamed for wrongdoing. Peter refers to it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
verses 15 and 16, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. In other words, people are going to malign you. Just let them malign you for doing what's right, not for doing what's wrong. Don't let them run you down because you earned it by being a fool. Don't do that. And the truth is, legitimate Christian ministry is hard. It presents some extremely challenging circumstances. And verses 4 and 5 then give us a list of such circumstances. It says, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. That means that while we work through this list of challenges in our daily outreach, well, that's actually a form of proving. It's a form of approval. If you're going to be an approved minister, you're going to need to learn how to navigate these challenges. So it says, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, and in fastings. Generally speaking, right, these are all things that happen to you. They they are externally driven, and and these circumstances come upon you, right? Uh, you You have to have patience because, man, I'm under afflictions, I'm under necessities, I'm under distresses, I'm under stripes, I'm under imprisonments, I'm under tumults, I'm under labor. I mean, all these things happen to you. And the Lord is saying, well, you you need to, well, you really can't do much about them except prepare for them, right, and be ready for them. Well, that's going to be the case. The Lord warns us that's going to be the case because, I actually put this in your notes, because the ministry is people, and people have problems. Ministry is all about people. I mean, you've heard people say, well, ministry would be awesome if it weren't for the people. Ha, ha, ha. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if, if it weren't for people, then you just get to sit around and read the Bible and, you know, love Jesus and sing songs and stuff, I guess. I don't know, but ministry is dealing with people and people have problems. And, you know, people say, well, man, that, it must be great to be able to lead a really big church instead of a little church. Okay, it, it can be. Um, big churches mean you have more people. <laughs> more people mean you have more problems. That's what it means. Um, I'm not saying anything's better. I'm just saying this is just something to think about, right? We are all yet flesh. We are all troubled people. We are all needy. It's just the case. And, you know, it, it might be fun for some people to make jokes. You know, preacher only works on Sunday. I get it. I've heard it a thousand times. But can I tell you, those jokes only come from people who truly don't have any clue what real ministry is all about. They come from people who, or they're just, you know, they're just joking. But, but they don't have any idea that the reality of daily life and standing for the Lord Jesus Christ and propagating His Word to people who need to hear it, although they don't want to hear it, is going to be a life facing all of these troubles that we just read. You young guys that are studying in our Bible Institute, you guys that are dreaming about one day having the office of a bishop, right? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, if you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a good work. And it is a good work. But you need to count the cost. You need to be counting the cost. You need, you're signing up for a lifetime of suffering. And suffering situations that will happen to you that have nothing to do with you. It's not your fault. You didn't cause them. You're just going to find yourself in the middle of them. Because who it is you represent, that's why. People are carnal. People are sinful. People get upset. People get mad at Jesus. They're not mad at you. But Jesus isn't here to see physically, and you are here to see physically, so they get mad at you. And that's what Jesus warned his disciples about in John chapter 15. Starting in verse 19, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, 
they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you. Why? For my name's sake. Because they know not him that sent me. So you stand in the stead of Jesus Christ as his ambassador. And people are upset with God and his holiness and his righteous standard. And they just decide, well, heck, I I don't like you either. And it's easier for them to do something against you because, I mean, face it, you're just you. I mean, they can't really do nothing to Jesus anyway. So, as a result, you know, this is going to happen. And, and, and Jesus just puts it right across the plate waist high when he says, you, you think you're better than me? You think you're greater than your Lord? They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you too. You're in for a tough life. This is the way it's going to play out. And if you're going to live this life, if you're going to be an effective minister of Jesus Christ, well, you're going to need, like it says in verse 4, much patience. You're going to need much patience because you're, listen, in order to be able to minister to others, God's going to put you through all kind of trouble yourselves. And He's going to let you go through the trouble yourself so that you will have the ability to draw from that strength to then legitimately help others who have that trouble. We saw this back in chapter number 1 and verses 3 through 6. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. So God sets up the life of the minister, the, the saved Christian minister. And I mean minister, I mean all of us, by the way, every single one of us, not the guy who happens to work at a church. God sets it up that you're going to go through stuff that wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong to have it happen. You just need to navigate it and let God's grace teach you something because tomorrow or the next day after that, there's going to be somebody else going through it and God needs you to be able to comfort them. And you know how it is when you're going through something really tough Somebody can come up and say to you, man, I know how you feel, but if they've never actually been through it, you kind of don't believe them. You don't really know how I feel, do you? But if they say, listen, I went through the same thing you went through, and let me show you how God helped me. Well, now, now you have effective ministry. You know, it isn't all that different from the ministry of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, the Old Testament prophets, and that was, that was a tough life. Those guys had to live out physically some of the things that God wanted to teach Israel spiritually. So everybody knows the story of the prophet Hosea, right? He had to marry a prostitute so that he could show Israel that their spiritual adultery against God was so disgusting. And they, they got to watch Hosea struggle with that woman in his life. God told him to do that. Uh, Isaiah... <laughs> This is crazy. Chapter 20. Go read it on your own. He had to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Why? To show what God was going to do to Egypt and Ethiopia. You're like, can't we just tell them? <laughs> no, you have to do this. Jeremiah. <laughs> I'm embarrassed standing in front of church saying this. It's in the Bible, so it's got to be good. Jeremiah had to not wash his drawers. And then take them, after they were real dirty, and stick them in a rock. And go away for a while. And then come back and get them. And then find how disgusting they were. And he says, see how this garment is marred and good for nothing. That's what Judah is to me. So Jeremiah is like, dang. Listen. Okay, the New Testament minister probably won't have that kind of thing. But a version of it, because we will have afflictions 
we'll have troubles. We're going to have necessities. Not always getting the things that we need. We're going to have distresses. And distresses are real crises. Things that really cause you significant distress in your life. Some people are going to live in stripes and imprisonments. Most of us probably haven't had to go through that yet, but it ain't over yet. I mean, our time is coming. I mean, 2020 has been bad, but we haven't seen 2021 yet. And there's one thing you've got to remember is that the last days before the actual rapture of the church and the setting up of the man of sin and the son of perdition to roll out the tribulation time, it's all about stopping the work of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So it hadn't maybe happened yet, but you never know. Still waiting for us are tumults. Well, tumults are violent, riotous fightings. Labors. Well, anything could be a labor, I guess, but how about the idea that some people have to work to support their own ministry? Maybe we won't have always the opportunity to, to draw a salary to do this kind of a thing. Paul had to make tents to continue his missionary ministry, right? Then there's watchings and fastings, and watchings and fastings deal with a life of prayer, right? Watching all things, fasting, dealing with prayer, having to draw from that fellowship that you have with God in order to make it through some of this stuff. See, these are all the circumstances of the gospel ministry. And it's not for the faint of heart. It's not. But the next section, as we go down to verses 6 and 7, point number 2 in your outline, is the characteristics of the minister. So we talked about the ministry. Let's talk about the minister for a second here. Paul goes on to describe how we should respond when faced with such circumstances. It's most certainly not the way that you would respond in the power of your flesh. If all those things happened to you in the power of your flesh, you'd fight back. You'd fight back, right? An eye for an eye, that's what you'd do. But in the Spirit, right, the New Testament's too clear. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You've been crucified with Christ, right? And now you live only unto Him, which died for you and rose again. So if you are going to labor together with God, giving no offense to the ministry, then the way you're going to respond is described in these verses. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And these things then become the characteristics of your life as a minister of Jesus Christ. These are things that you could never pull off on your own. You need to have fellowship with God, and that's what chapter 6 is all about. You need to be able to walk with God. Amos 3.3, everybody's familiar with. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And so you need to be in agreement with God. You need to be in fellowship with God, walking step by step with God. If you expect to have the strength to be able to respond the way a minister is supposed to respond and have the characteristics that you're supposed to have. And so when we read things, what does it mean to walk together and be agreed with God? Well, how about some of the things we just read, like in verse number 7? In the power of the Holy Spirit and in accordance with His Word, with the armor of God on for spiritual battle. 1 John talks about the same thing in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This then is the message we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. When you lie, that means the thing that you said is not true. What is the thing he said? What he said is, I have fellowship with God, but he's walking in darkness. Because you can't walk together except you be agreed. And if you're not agreed, walking in the light, well then, he's not lying, you're lying. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, meaning we and Jesus. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We'll go back to our list in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It requires that you gain the right kind of knowledge, right? 
You need to have the right knowledge about the Lord. You need to have the right knowledge about yourself. You need to have the right knowledge about this world. You need to have the right knowledge about lost people. You need to understand things the way God understands these things. And when you do, it allows you to respond better, right? Because now you understand, kind of like that old song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Or as the Bible specifically calls us, pilgrims and strangers. We're ambassadors, meaning we represent another land and heavenly. And so back to verse 1, when you work together with God and when you allow His grace to work in you, then you can respond to the challenges of ministry with pureness. No guile, no deceit, no uncleanness. Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.22, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. He says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And Peter says it this way in chapter, 1 Peter 1.22, Seeing you have purified your souls, how? In obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. You see, that purity allows you to live your life by kindness, by long-suffering. Long-suffering is a great word. It means you suffer for a long time. It means you're taking it on the chin, and you're taking it on the chin again, and you're taking it on the chin again, and then you suffer some more. And that pureness is going to allow you to respond with what the Bible calls love unfeigned. No fakes, no eye service, no men pleasers. You love what God loves, and God loves people, even the bad ones, even the bad ones. Thank God for that. So you say, man, that sounds awesome. Great, I'm all for it. Okay, great. Now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and show unfeigned love to people. When they lie to your face, after having served with you for years and go behind your back and stab you in the back and gossip lies and steal people from your church and attack you personally or worse yet, attack your family and your kids, what are you going to do then? When you sacrifice all and you go serve in a foreign land within the first month, all your plans fall apart and you're not sure why you're even there. Go show unfeigned love to people when you lead somebody to Christ and disciple him and watch him grow, and then his family threatens to kill you because their son changed his religion. Go show unfeigned love to people when your biggest vocal supporter and young disciple goes and reads some Calvinist book and thinks he knows more than you do, sows discord, leaves the church, attacks you behind your back, only to call you during a time of personal crisis in his life needing your help because his life's in danger. What are you going to do then? Well, I know what you do in the flesh. Well, I know what I did because all these things have happened to me. What do you do? Well, one of the things you do is remember Romans 12, 19 to 21. That's what you do. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That is, verse 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. That's what that is. Jesus told us a similar list back in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 35. He says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. 
And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. Why? For he, the highest, is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Aren't you thankful for that? So successful ministry, this is in your notes, requires a life of complete and total surrender. That's what it requires. You have to be completely and totally surrendered to your fellowship with God and let Him work in and through you. When you're walking with Him and working together with Him, when the power of God is active in your life by the Holy Ghost, through the Word of God, as the lamp under your feet and a light under your path, step by step, day by day, one day at a time, And then the last thing we're going to look at is the third point we're calling the contrasts of the ministry. The contrasts of the ministry. The last three verses. This last section of Scripture lays out some contrasts of the Christian life. It's it's that age-old juxtaposition of flesh versus spirit or physical versus spiritual or temporal versus eternal. And so the list goes on and it says... By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, behold, and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. This is a great definition of how you should be able to see the Christian life. And so I put it in your notes this way because I want you to see this. I think this is really important. The paradoxes of the Christian life give you your perspective. They give you the needed perspective that you need to have if you're going to be able to navigate these challenges that come into your life. These contrasts become your very life. They actually help you adjust your perspective. And when you can get your perspective adjusted accordingly, well, that's the real win. I mean, that's the real win. You need the spiritual, eternal perspective on life. Because if you don't, you're you're just going to be confused all the time. When you see these contrasts, honor or dishonor, I don't know, evil, good, report, I don't know, deceiving, telling the truth, I don't know, unknown yet, well, you're just going to be confused. But what you need to understand is that it, it just doesn't matter what other people think or say or do, either to you or against you, because you know better. You have the right perspective. You know that your spirit-filled life is making a difference in the lives of others. And that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. So, so what? So what when you're dishonored by some people? When you can be honored by other people? And, and not just honored by the Lord, but even honored by other people. In fact, in fact, I would say what really matters in your perspective is that you make sure that you figure out who are the right ones you want to honor you and who are the wrong ones to honor you and then for the dishonor as well. Because you see, there's a list of people, if they honor you, you could be in a heap of trouble. And there's another list of people, if they dishonor you, you could be in a heap of trouble. you got to get the right list with the right category, right? I mean, as long as you got that worked out, I mean, who really cares what the group that doesn't matter dishonor? Who cares? I mean, so what? If some people give you an evil report of something you're doing, if the Lord approves of what you're doing, you get a good report from Him. Does it really matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. 
Who cares if some consider you a deceiver when all you're doing is giving them the truth? All you're doing is giving them the truth and they don't like it and they say you're deceiving me. No, I'm telling you the truth. And they can call you that all day long. It shouldn't phase you. It should give you perspective. So what if you never get earthly fame and prestige from your college friends have achieved all that they've achieved because you chose a life of serving God over a career? And in society, you're a relative unknown. But in heaven, they know you well. They know you well. Jesus I know and Paul I know. But who are ye? I mean, so what if your life is characterized by a continual dying to self and never getting the things that you would really enjoy even though a lot of your more carnal Christian friends do seem to get those things and enjoy them because the truth is that the life that you live that's actually that's really living that's living the way you're supposed to be living I mean so what if God has to chasten you like it says in Hebrews 12. Because you know that he only chastens the ones that he loves, and he only does it for your benefit, right? So if he has to chasten you, he's doing it because he loves you, he's doing it for your good. You ain't dead yet. Just take it. It's okay. Don't make that mistake again. I mean, does it really matter? All your biblical insight reveals to you that this world is in one big whopping mess. Ecclesiastes 1.18 says that in much knowledge is much sorrow. The more you understand the truth and see the world through the eyes of the Word of God, man, that's going to bring a lot of sorrow into your life because you see how big of a mess people are in. And when you have that happen and the facts of truth and your life in Christ bring you much sorrow daily as long as you're busy about the ministry of reconciliation and get to see a handful of people get saved eternally and you realize all the rejoicing that's in heaven as a result of that who cares about the sorrow so what when your earthly bank portfolio doesn't look too great for retirement anymore. You're preaching a gospel that guarantees men a future in a city with streets of gold, jasper walls, jeweled foundations, and pearl gates. All things are yours. That's what the Bible says. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3.21, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ and Christ is God's. I don't know about you, but I'm living my life with a long view. I'm living my life looking at that long view and having that perspective that my life might be a walking paradox. And a lot of you might not ever understand the weird stuff that I do. But at the end of the day, I got a perspective. And that perspective is based on something bigger than you and bigger than me. And I'm trying. I'm trying. And if you want to try, that's what you're going to do too. Because that paradox sets your perspective. And when you have your perspective, you have everything. You walk with Jesus Christ and you forge ahead. See, Christian ministry has its challenges. But the truth of the matter is, how could you do anything else? I mean, really, how could you do anything else? Just count the cost. And let's get busy working together with God. Yeah, I get it. The circumstances are going to be tough. But the fellowship is sweet, right? And the rewards, well, that's glorious. And that's what he has for you. And that's what we can expect. So, however he spoke to your heart, let's have an opportunity to respond. Let's pray together, and let's handle the work that he's got for us to do. Lord Jesus, thank you, I pray, that you would take this word, and you would work in the hearts of the brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that as we consider our lives, 
that we would see ourselves honestly in the mirror of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to work together with us. Who are we? We're nothing. You could have seemingly to us anyway, much more efficiently done this all on your own. But you chose to use us because you want to share the blessing with us. And I pray that we take that seriously. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the warnings. It's not always easy, but it's definitely worth it. The most important thing is just to keep that fellowship with you clean. So, Lord, I just want to pray for anybody who's here. If they're not sure that they're saved, if they're not sure that, God forbid, their physical life were to end today, they, would, they don't know if they'd have a home in heaven. Lord, they can begin that fellowship with you right now. All they got to do is cry out to you for forgiveness. Just, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. I know my sin has separated me from you. I pray that you forgive me of my sin and give me the free gift of eternal life. Come into my heart and my life and be the Lord of all and I'll follow you all the days of my life. Lord, this can be that day. I pray that they would just surrender all to you right now. But Lord, a lot of us are Christians already and maybe the fellowship is dried up and if the fellowship dried up, it's because... Well, we're not walking in the light as you're in the light. And so there might be some brothers and sisters who just today, right now, need to get honest with you and confess their sin. Whatever thing that's been hindering their sweet fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, that they would get rid of it right now and that they would surrender it afresh to you again. Renew the fellowship and get busy doing the work. Until that day you call us home, which could be in about a half hour. We don't know. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you be pleased with all of our responses we ask in your name. Amen. All right, go ahead and stand up with me. And uh, we're going to close this out with one final song, as always. Um, those connection cards, if you want to communicate with us in the offering plates in the back, thank you all for being faithful in your offerings as well. But if you've got to get right, if you need help, if you need somebody to pray with you, man, let us know. We want to help you.